0: porn series a game of thrones and in particular we are uh engaging in a particularly shameful endeavor of rewatching the entire series starting with episode 1 season 1 uh now really quickly my name is Doug with me as always is Brian Brian good evening Doug and uh we had this idea weeks back because we wanted to keep this going, uh, between this season and the next, and uh we were going back and forth whether we should do it or not. And in the meantime time, those fucking dickheads at Bald Move, uh, the Game of Thrones podcast, they decided to do this as well, and uh, you know. We were we were thought about not doing it, but we said fuck it. Maybe we'll catch some of their runoff, kinda like Braun with Jamie. Um so if somebody's rewatching the entire series, or, and you guys don't have to rewatch the entire series either, you can just listen to us talk about it, and it'll probably jog your memory. Uh, regardless, this is what's happening, so uh, deal with it. Uh, with us tonight too is a special guest, uh, Jim. Uh, say hello, Jim. Uh,
1: how are you, everybody?
0: Great. And uh, Jim, uh, quick, uh, quickly, just tell us how you got into uh, *Song of Ice and Fire*, uh, the books, and then um, yeah, let's start with right there, and then we'll talk about the show.
1: Uh, I was a, a books first guy from before there was a show. Uh, my mom really likes fantasy and sort of. She would always buy me cool fantasy and sci fi kind of books. So she bought me the first four books, which were out at the time for Christmas one year, and I started reading them. and I was like, "Oh, this is pretty amazing. This is this she is." She bought excellent. you all four books. She did. She's she's which is a pretty bold move because like, yeah. what if I started it and I didn't like it? Which. Sorry, mom. That has happened with some of the series she's gotten. Me. Has she bought book the? And you're like,
0: yeah, but has she hmm? done that before? Has she like when she brings home a book? Will she bring home the entire run?
1: Like not books that she gets, but like she'll look for cool books that she thinks I'll like, and right. that sometimes that she likes too. Like so, she read these afterwards. Um, I think she she read them after she watched the show. Like a lot of oh people. well, then
0: she just bought them on a whim, thinking you'd like them. Yes, exactly. Very cool. That is a bold move. That is a Here's bold move. Here's four books. I don't even know if the first one's any good. <laughs> Here's about. Right. Let me know well, how yeah.
2: this turns out. What, what's the combined yeah.
0: page count on that, do you think? It's probably got to be over 3,000, somewhere between. Easily. The later, the, the the I think the fourth and fifth books
1: are over well, 1,000. Like, this pages. is
0: in the fourth book. He just had one through four, well, but I, still. I uh, yeah it
1: would have been would have been near four thousand it's only I, I, so. I want to say they're they're almost all about a thousand except the first one but the first one is still like seven eight hundred pages Here, honey I
0: signed you up for a marathon yeah <laughs> good luck well that's cool so obviously you liked it and then um, uh yeah and then uh, I uh, moved to Boston I met you found out you were into the books as well and we found out the TV show was coming out and we got excited for that and just so happened that for whatever reason um when Dance of Dragons was announced, they announced that uh, George would be doing book signings and appearances. And for some reason, he chose uh, Burlington, Massachusetts, just north of Boston, for his first start, stop. So the day Dance of Dragons came out, me and Jim uh, got a zip car and went up to Burlington, Vermont, to uh, see George talk and get our book signed. And it was kind of a shit show. <laughs> what do you remember of that day?
1: Uh, I, Well, I remember... Well, I'm going to be cruel. I was going to say I remember being somewhat ashamed of, of the company that we, we had in line. At least the early, <laughs> early guys were really nerdy. Um, and I mean, you know, people like what they like, and and that's fine. And I am also very nerdy, so that's also fine. Um, but I remember being a little bit like, "Oh, is this is this how I am, or am I a little different? <laughs> is, is this really
0: am I fun? looking at a boss?
1: Yeah." It was, a, it was a super long wait, and I feel like we got there, like... We got there super early. We got to, to me pretty early. Yeah, like, it was, like, it, was it
0: was one of these things where he was gonna, like, talk at, like, 5 or 6 in the afternoon, and we arrived at, like, what do you think, like, 10, 11? But it was Jesus. July, and it was hot as fuck, and they had no, yeah. like, waiting. Uh, they wanted us to wait in the parking lot in July. And, yeah, and was, mind you, it was Boston, but it was still fucking hot as shit.
1: So, yeah, uh... Yeah, it was... It was, uh... I mean, it was... Fun to kind of do, but like, would I do it again? Like, I don't know. Well, the worst um, part. All
0: right, so like, it was so hot that you and I had the great idea because there was a indoor mall across the street, a Burlington yep. Mall. So we decided to go there and read Dance with Dragons because once again we bought the book earlier that day, and everybody waiting in the hot fucking parking lot is reading Dance with Dragons, <laughs> and we decided to do it in a in a in you know the food court at the mall for a couple hours, and during the the hottest part of the day. When we came when we came back. The parking lot was full and we had to get back in the back of the line and then when they let us in at the end of the day, we didn't we didn't make it inside before they closed the doors for his book reading and appearance. so we missed all of that but we still got our book oh, yeah. signed it was yeah uh, it was interesting it was very
1: I actually was, remember it was, it was a long day
2: it was I remember Dave, you posting a picture of you and or of George or R. Martin on your Facebook and said, with the caption something like, please don't die me, you old bastard, or you fat bastard, or something.
0: Yeah, and I also... And added, I didn't uh, even know...
2: I didn't know who the hell he was. I remember asking you, who is this? And I also <laughs> wrote...
0: Um, I took a picture of Jim with him and wrote as a caption, Jim with the mountain that writes. Um, mountain that writes. Yeah. You know, I thought that was clever. Yeah. Patting myself That's on. a good
1: one. That's... I definitely... The mountain that writes is definitely sort of as George R, R. Martin is you known own in my mind. That's head canon to me. There you go. So uh
0: yeah, and then obviously me and Jim uh we were in the same town. Me, Jim, and Jeff all watched the uh first season together cuz we didn't have HBO and we were basically using our friend Jeff, who was on the podcast last week, uh his house to uh, and his subscription to watch the show. And I remember being pretty pleased with the first season. Uh, about you? What do what do you think?
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, part of it and well, I guess we'll talk about this, but I mean it, it stays pretty close to the books. I remember, I just thought it was a fun vibe because you and I knew the story and Jeff didn't. And so I feel like every episode we were kind of cackling on the inside, waiting for whatever sort of twisted, horrible thing to happen. And for Jeff to be like, wait, what? And then you and I'd be like, yeah, pretty much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was great. And all that's taken from us. So what did you think of this last season? Because we weren't able to get you on the season recap last week.
1: Um, you know, I think I agreed with a lot of what you guys and other folks said. I mean, overall, I liked it. Um, but it it almost is, is a different animal to me than what the books are. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that you can think of where it's almost like fan fiction. And so, I mean, more than anything else, I'm kind of just curious to read the books to sort of see how they diverge. Um,
0: Yeah. And see see what choices they made given what, Source material they had, and obviously they're probably not given everything. Um, it's obvious that they're probably just given like the main story, like this person goes here, or this person dies, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And that's the thing that you know, seeing this season, and there's a little bit of this in the fifth season. It uh, it kind of makes me wonder really how far into it Martin is. I almost wonder a little bit like how much they talk about it nowadays. Like I wonder if if he's not super happy about them outpacing him and not really cutting him a break and so they don't have a ton of information because I, I feel like part of it is they kind of are you know some of the things that have ha- happened it would almost be stuff that maybe you would guess would happen but there's not a lot of details kind of filling in the gaps in the way there are in some of the earlier seasons it there was some wheel spinning you know that that like whatever episodes like five six seven even eight this last season there wasn't a ton of stuff that happened and no. you know for the part of the story where you would kind of expect it to really be picking up you know you I think people are expecting it to be kind of like that book three or that sort of season four in the show right. when it's a lot of stuff happening um to really kind of get the gears going and I think when you look back I mean there's some some interesting stuff that happened but you know as, in terms of what you could do over the course of the season I was a little surprised that how little happened in some respects.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big reason why, you know, the, they'll probably say budget, and that's, I'm sure, a consideration because the show is so fucking big, and they have to keep paying the actors more and more money to keep coming back. But I think the the shortened seasons for uh, 7 and 8 are primarily because they don't have a lot to go on. I mean, they could invent, you know, ridiculous meetings, you know, and side quests for these characters to go on, but they don't seem to want to do that, or they definitely don't do that too well. Um. Occasionally, well, yeah. You know, let's the hope they don't do it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's jump in. We're gonna um, we're gonna do this entire series rewatch at least until season seven comes out, and that's been delayed supposedly because of production. They want to wait until it's actually more wintry on these locations. So everything's been pushed back. We don't know how long, which is fine for us, I guess, because even if we did one episode a week, there's you know five seasons, ten episodes each. That's nearly a year so i think we'll be good um but we're going to do this not like we do uh we did season 6 we're not going to do an in-depth recap we're more just going to like just talk about the scenes tell tell you what happened very briefly and then you know review it in kind of like a uh the spectrum of what we know now looking back and the seeds that were planted what made sense uh what was interesting um just we're we're going to do it from that perspective we're not going to do this like we're pretending to watch the, the show for the first time and get excited. So, um, if you are watching the show for the first time and you're looking for a companion piece, uh, this is not it. And just wait till later. We'll give you a spoiler warning uh, detailing why you shouldn't do that. But um, it's too early in the show for that shit. So we start off. Are you ready? Uh, you ready, Brian? I'd let, I feel like I've been talking uh, with Jim. Why don't you uh, start off this uh, um, the episode one, season one of Game of Thrones? Sure. So uh, we start out. Yeah, this is one of the few cold opens
2: that they've done in the series. And uh, this was a lot of fun. This, this scene really got me hooked Or this, this initial cold opening. Uh, and, and we've, we, what we discussed ago in this episode, we're going into preparing for this episode is we'll try to do these uh, summaries of the different scenes and, you know, 15 to 20 words or less. Keep it real short. So, uh, basically a ranging party leaves the, uh, night's watch and, and, uh, they stumble upon a bunch of dead wildlings in a, in a field and then they are attacked and killed by supernatural beings. And you don't know what the fuck is going on. One guy gets away as we found out later, but man, this thing was such an incredible setup. I mean, it just kind of threw you into this and you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? And, uh, I, I love the opening of the, of the series.
0: Yeah. Jim, what do you
1: think? I agree, I think it's really good, I mean it's of course pulled right from the books that prologue right. yes. um, it's really well done it's very creepy I, one thing I like about it is that it's so different from the rest of the episode and and even a lot of the first season there's almost the no rest of the
0: first book exactly I remember reading the prologue of the first book going, okay, this is what I'm in for and then yeah. never never revisiting it
2: that's a great point,
1: yeah um so I think that's you know I I just think it's a sort of an interesting choice, but it's it's cool and it's interesting that you sort of think looking towards the very, very end of where it's gonna go, if you assume the last stuff is gonna be fighting the White Walkers, it's sort of also the very first thing that you see, even though the kind of the you know, what starts the plot of the story is the death of John Aaron, which is this totally different, unrelated thing.
0: Right. And uh And I thought it looked pretty goddamn good, too. I was talking to Brian briefly uh, over text when I was watching the show. And the show looks, this first season looks so different from the later seasons. I feel like the later seasons almost look like you're watching a movie visually. Um, Yeah. But this looked like a well-done TV show. um, And I really can't complain too much. I mean, I thought the sound effects of like the little chittering of the uh, White Walkers was a little much. Like, it does seem like somebody looked up, like, sound effects, uh, volume one, and they had, like, when the White Walkers were running around. But other than that...
2: Yeah, they, go, they go to the sample
0: section. Free <laughs> samples. Pond 5. Yeah, there's, like, a watermark yeah. on the, the uh, audio. But, uh, but, yeah, it was great, and you're absolutely right. Like, I just can't get over how, when I read the book, I was just like, okay, we're gonna be fighting, you know, zombies, there's gonna be guys with ice swords that, uh... You know, can shatter other other dudes' swords and uh, just just wreck. And it, we we never really revisited that at all. I would say, uh, do we in the first season? I mean, obviously, this is we haven't finished the season yet. But can you think in the first book or the seasons are there any other mentions of only, White Walkers?
1: Only well, there's only just where the you know the the couple of Night's Watch guys come back to Castle Black, right? And John has to burn them.
0: Oh um, yeah, is that in the first book or the first season?
1: That's near the end of the first season, right? Because that's when they decide they're going to go out and oh, they're going to do the uh,
0: ranging and end up on the uh, the fists of the fourth the first men. All right, all right. So, I think so yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, anything else to say about this first scene?
1: No, I didn't. I was a little bit surprised. I didn't remember there being like full on White Walkers. Like I thought it was just whites, but there definitely were White Walkers with the ice swords and everything. Um, yeah, and they were so hidden I, I in was, shadow. I, I,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. I was, I, and so that to me was kind of a surprise because, you know, watching the show, you know, like in the books, you really have not seen White Walker hardly at all. Um, and so that was interesting. That that's there right from the start. But,
0: and know. then the, the guy that gets away, uh, we'll briefly talk about him because he's going to come up in the next scene. He just seems to like collapse after watching the second of the three men get murdered. Um, so I guess they let him get away.
1: That's about the only thing I can think to justify him still being alive. Although that doesn't seem super consistent with anything else that happens ever. But yeah, more or less.
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't and seem consistent. It seems. There's weird. also the odd detail that somehow he goes through
2: the night's watch. I mean, he has to presumably yeah. go through the night's watch to get home.
0: Yeah, and he uh, says specifically in a later scene, I should have gone back to the wall and warned them.
2: Yeah, which it didn't right. make a lot of sense, but who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who
0: cares? Moving on, I did want to say about the um, the intro, um, the opening credits. Uh, I never, I I have like I don't know disdain for most opening credits, especially with on demand. I usually tend to blow right by them. But somebody mentioned in another uh, podcast, uh, probably you know much smarter than me, much more detail oriented that. Every time they cut to the glass orb thing that's in the air, like the sun um, compass thing, that has been getting a lot of traction because they're saying the things in the citadel that um, uh, what's his face? Oh, in the Sam, library, cut, yeah, Sam saw. Yeah, uh, Slayer, <laughs> Sam the Slayer sees in the library these big uh, glass reflecting sun things, and people are saying that you know that's what's in the opening credits. But if you see when they cut to this orb thing, for lack of a better word, in the opening credits, it tells the story up to now of what's going on, which is crazy. So the first thing that's etched into the orb thing is um, a city being burned by lava from a volcano and a dragon. Then the next time we cut to it, it's um, a dragon being attacked by a wolf, a lion, and a stag. And then the final time we see it, it's the stag... With a like sun corona around its head, and the other animals bowing down to it. Um, Did you guys notice that shit at all? No, (laughs) not not (laughs) not even a microcosm of it. No, but yeah, that's essentially telling the story of uh, the invasion of the Seven Kingdoms by the Targaryens and their rule up until Robert's Rebellion, and when the story starts to take place again, uh, where we like brings us up to now, basically.
1: Yeah, that's one thing just in general, like the world is so detailed, I think, and the show does a pretty good job for the most part of including some of those some of those details. Like I think it's a credit to Martin that he's got such a ridiculous amount of history and all this stuff worked out, which some people can say it's just crazy overkill. You don't need all that. But I mean you do get to kind of pick and choose what you could include on something like the show and it just makes it feel a lot more fleshed out.
0: Yeah, if you were looking to adapt like a book, I mean obviously the budgetary concerns of the show but Mar- let's not forget that Martin wrote for TV for years, so there's not much adaptation that you need to do. But yeah, just little things like I was noticing that Daenerys has a three-headed dragon pin holding up her dress. Later, uh, these are right. things that they're just they're just they can just choose to include or not. But if you do include, they just add to the I don't know richness of the world. So I'm impressed by these little details. All right, so Agreed. after the opening credits, uh, where do we go?
2: the uh, we see the uh, deserter from the night's watch is caught by uh, by uh, outside of winterfell I guess and it was kind of neat seeing um that scene where everything was still green at that time and as you know in these later seasons everything is now white because winter has come but um so we kind of get an introduction to the Stark gang um we see uh brand sucks arya sassy uh Sansa wants to be a princess. It was funny to see the uh pre-Reek version of Theon, which you kind of forget about how he went from like this uh thinking he was king shit of fuck Mountain to being a, a ballless wonder. Yeah. Uh, so after seeing the uh Stark family kind of interact for a little while, they uh Ned gets news of the deserter and he goes to execute the the deserter. Um and uh so it's at the same time the scarface guy uh, warns of the white walkers that Ned is first aware of the white walkers at that point
0: um all right yeah we can we can stop there because uh, i know i kind of fizzled out i just don't want to go no, into no because you know, it just keeps going, going and going show. and going yeah. so let's let's just yeah. stop there and pause but um yeah i i want to you know i was paying extra attention to Jon Snow because of his import now as uh, mm-hmm. the resurrected new king of the north king of the north part uh, 2 uh and there's this like cold stare that happens between him and Kay- Caitlin <laughs> that yes. I thought was great. Just showing her disdain for uh what she perceives to be her husband's a uh, symbol of her husband's <laughs> infidelity that they have to feed and Why close. is she
1: such a bitch
2: about it?
0: I I well obviously uh her husband's lying to her about who who the parents are and he's claiming it as my son. Um And I I mean, I guess that's that's showing you that Ned is so thorough in his protecting of Jon Snow that he won't even tell his fucking wife that I imagine he can trust. Uh, Because I don't know why. How do you not tell her that, you know, hey, this is, you know, we're going to say it's my (laughs) bastard, but this is my sister's kid. Uh, But we have to lie about it because he's part Targaryen. And if Robert finds out, he'll kill this kid. So be cool with it. I, I, but it's I mean even this
2: not the kids fault I don't know she seems fairly rational most of the time and I I just never quite bought her uh her animus towards John.
0: Yeah, it seems to be her one and only uh real character flaw, I would guess. I mean she's not per- uh, portrayed as being terrible in any other way.
1: Yeah, the um I think in a later season she has a scene where she talks about it a little bit, but you know I think that is pretty much the gist of it that She just kind of, kind of can't get over the hump, and it it humanizes her a bit. Kind of makes her so she's not this totally perfect kind of good character. You're absolutely right, but I I think that
0: I think that does come like in season three when she's talking to, um, whoever the made up character they get to marry Rob Stark. Um, Yeah, you know, she's talking how she laments the fact that she couldn't love uh, John like her other kids.
2: I can understand that she doesn't love him, but she could not just not be be like a jerk to him,
1: (laughs) right? So. She, in the, this is jumping ahead a little bit, in that dinner scene when Arya's throwing food, doesn't, it's she that kind of gives the nod to Jon to, like, go wrap Arya up, right?
0: No, she gives it to Rob. Rob's the one who grabs oh, her. Oh, is and, it? And okay, never mind. Away, But But, moving on, and then, um, you know, we cut to the field where, um, you know, uh, what wasn't brought in was, uh. Brands being brought along to see his first beheading, and it's a big deal. It's like a coming-of-age thing for people in the North. And um, Ned Stark imparts the wisdom, the one who passes judgment should swing the sword. And this, I felt, came back in a big way in Book 5 for me when he, when Jon Snow is about to hang... Um, what's that guy's name?
1: Uh, Janos Slint.
0: Yeah, Janos Slint, the captain of the guards that was instrumental in killing his father. Uh... Jon Snow's about to hang him, and then he says, wait, this is all wrong. Get me a block and my sword. And he cuts the guy's head off. Yeah. Um, I just yeah. thought that was just beautiful. It was so much more powerful in the books, and I feel like season five, they didn't do it justice. But uh there's this kind of like wisdom that, you know, now that we know that Ned Stark's gonna die, th- these are like the the things. This is how he's influencing his children. And we can see this come back in their actions later on in the books. And I think that's really well done
2: yeah and i think he also yeah. there they're, he's by brand witnessing to be heading at that age which i guess based on cattle we were made to understand that it was a little bit young how he has to grow up uh, a lot faster than they might might uh, want him to which obviously has happened over the course of the the show of course he, he grew up like five years in the span of one season but this is a different story <laughs> all right but we
1: yeah. cut to that the, whole uh oh, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that whole i mean the, the where he needs to grow up is is where Ned says winter is coming right for the first time and that's well yeah
0: yes, when he's talking to their words know.
1: and that's right that's all part of it right it's it's especially up in the north it's it's sort of tougher even than it is elsewhere so hey, you hey, grow it's up tougher that.
0: in Alaska <laughs> you know but uh yeah we cut to the guys the guy that they capture is rambling about the uh, white walkers and he's like I had to I have to tell you you know white walkers. Ned hears it all, and, you know, he's got to do it anyway. Um, and Bran asks him if he believes him, and he's like, you know, he saw what he saw. You know, he doesn't know what to think, basically. But, you know, there's no validating it, so Ned just moves on. But it's funny that, like, Ned lives his the rest of his entirely short life believing that there's no real threat coming uh, from the White Walkers, which I think is nice. Mm. It just shows, like, how like ridiculous it is that they're coming back. Um, but uh, taking on the summary, then on the way back from the beheading, uh, they see a uh, dead uh, deer and a dead wolf, and the dead wolf is monstrous. It's a dire wolf that hasn't been seen south of the wall in ages, I guess. So uh, the dead wolf has several pups, and of course this whole deer and the deer stabbing the wolf and dying yes. is foreshadowing for Rob getting uh, King Robert getting Ned killed later on in the show. And obviously, uh, Robert probably dies, too, based on um, Ned's actions as well with investigating the uh, uh, the Bastard uh, mystery, which is the central mystery of the show, at least the first season. But anyway, they find these uh, five puppies. They're about to kill them just because they can't survive without their mother. Bran wants to keep them, and Ned's like, fuck that, kill them. But John's like, oh, well, you know, dire wolves are the mascot of your house. So it's probably a sign from the gods, one for every child. And then John gets an, gets one uh, that just was hiding in the uh, leaves or whatever. And that's the run of the litter. So all the kids get puppies.
2: It's pretty happy, right? Yes, but only for these puppies to be treated by the showrunners like they were Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> just abandoned
0: and murdered for no reason. Yeah. I will say yeah. that's that's frustrating because I feel like they the the dogs were at least in this episode and I remember later in the uh in the season when uh uh Summer kills that the guy that was trying to assassinate Bran. Uh Jeff Andreessen, the guy from last week, I remember him, he goes, Yes, fucking battle wolf. Like, <laughs> he was so excited and I feel like yeah. they really dropped the ball, not including <clears throat> these these wolves. I mean, uh, they're like ever present uh I don't know avatars of of the Stark children. So, and as the season as it's gone along,
2: that's been one of my biggest complaints with the show. I mean, besides the obvious sexual violence, but the abandonment of what seemed seemed like it was going to be so critical to the show. What it really was a lot of fun. I mean, the direwolves are are fucking awesome, and they just have fallen by the wayside.
0: Right. I mean, that's how you humanize uh, a character. Is like everybody's taking care of a, if not a dog, an animal as a pet, and to give these kids pets, you know, you're instantly hey, you know, I didn't live in an alternate universe or whatever back in medieval times, but, you know, I've raised a puppy. I don't know. It just seems like... And we we would all love, you know, it's like a fantasy, I guess, if we were like uh, post-apocalyptic and we were just striving for food. We, you know, we were like, uh, I don't know, Clint Eastwood going in the Wild West and we'd have no friends all by ourselves, but we'd have our trusty dog. Um and that's like a fantasy, and I feel like they really dropped the ball of indulging in that fantasy by not including these goddamn direwolves in uh, any scenes later. Just like, just they appear just to die. It seems like, uh, but whatever.
2: Uh, dude, what, they were integral for like the first four seasons, maybe, and then they've just been crapped on since then.
0: Right, like a uh, direwolf saves Brand's life later in the yes. season. So, like, uh, what do you guys think of the direwolves just in general, um, from a book perspective or the show's perspective? What's the point of them? Um, go. I I I have my opinion, but I want to hear what you guys think.
1: Um, I don't know that I have any strong strong opinion. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting to me how in the books, like almost all the the characters, the Stark characters, do some amount of war game, Like Brand, the most, but like John has done it also. Right to the point that people thought. At the end of book five, when he gets killed, that maybe he survives by warging into his wolf. And he's still like, good
0: in the books, but he definitely doesn't in the
1: show. So Right. Like Arya, I, I think even when she's across the sea, still has dreams of, of Nymeria. Uh, Nymeria, like back in the riverlands, right? Absolutely. Um I nobody knows what's going on with Rickon because even in the books he's kind of forgotten. But uh Yeah, I I mean it's 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 very interesting. It's a little bit you know, sometimes it's a little overdone when I'm like, okay, I don't need to read about you dreaming about being a wolf. deer, yeah. like again. But I mean, it is an interesting aspect of it. Um, no, nobody else really on the show can, can do that. I mean, like people that warg the wildlings and have that power, but like, you know, none of the other kind of main characters, like, I don't know if, you know, eventually in the books when Danny, Gets you know more happening with their dragons if that's going to be sort of an aspect of that and and that they're going to mirror each other or what?
0: Yeah, but- I, I don't know. Is is John's warging ability going to mean anything in the future? Like they even dropped brands like besides him controlling Hodor, they really haven't visited. I, I, that's why I'm I, I'm kind of angry at the the brand thing in the show is because when he's learning from the three eyed Raven or Crow. In the show he's just getting history lessons. They aren't showing him warging into ravens. Like that's him flying, you know. They, they he said, Well, you know, you'll never walk again, but right. you will fly. fly. Yeah. But and he's able to see through the ravens, he's able to see through different creatures, and that's part of his training in the book. And they left that out, I think, almost completely in the show, right?
1: Kinda. I mean it, it you know, this again is talking about the past season and not this first episode, but it, it definitely seemed like the whole point of they made it seem like the whole point of Brain going up there was Honestly, just to do the Tower of Joy and whatever the hold the door, Hodor thing, like, yeah. right? You know, Jeez. yeah. Doesn't really for not a whole lot of payoff. Yeah, like I don't know what I mean. You know, if Bran's gonna be the three-eyed raven that makes it sound like he's gonna be this you know super powerful like magic kind of wizard guy. Um, but that aspect of it is not emphasized at all.
0: No. So. so I don't know what's going on with the direwolves. I just I think the the show just. I, I, I mean, they might not have a payoff in the book, but I, I, I tend to think it's just another um, another example of magic being reawakening, or reawoken in the world. A lot of people think that dragons bring the magic. I, I think that's ridiculous because we have things like the dire wolves south of the wall and the white walkers coming back before dragons even make a goddamn appearance. So I think this is evidence that somehow magic is returning into the world um, in general. And this is just the Starks... Uh, used to be able to do this back in the day. I mean that's why obvious it's I mean it's not in uh expressly said, but that's why they have like direwolf like statues with the dead kings of the north. Uh presumably they all had they all could control or war uh uh Direwolves like the Targaryens could uh control their dragons. Um and, mm. and it and hasn't been done for a long time and I feel like it's coming back. That's my take.
2: I see that. I don't. I don't really have strong opinions on the direwolves. Uh, to be honest with you, when I read the books, I skipped a lot of that. Uh, the 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 war game portions, just because it was kind of boring to me. But
0: all right. So that's my t- that's my hot take. <laughs> yeah, Brian thinks they're boring. All right, so yeah. Uh, then we go to King's Landing. Brian, why don't you uh, tell us what happens there?
2: Uh, so we meet uh, Cersei and Jamie for the first time. Uh, they're discussing the je- the death of John Aaron, who was the hand of the king. Uh, they apparently knew, John Aaron knew about Cersei and Jamie uh, that they were banging, and uh, also Robert's Bastards. Or I, I'm sorry, I guess I don't think they do go into Robert's Bastards. Um, but I wondered, what did you notice in the background at the end of that scene, it almost looked like somebody was tied up in the background?
0: No, that's, that seems like a. Um... You know, three men and a baby situation where there's like a ghost hiding <laughs> behind the curtain. But uh, I, I,
2: I'm curious. There was somebody in the background at the very end of the scene, and it almost looked like they were tied up. I tried to watch it a couple times. But I couldn't figure out what the heck it was, but there wasn't a lot to this scene. I mean, no. other uh, things that we already know, but this is our introduction to those two characters,
0: right? And they're they're keeping a secret, but yeah, nothing really yeah. is happening. Uh, but like, if we want, we were to use our knowledge that we have now, we know that John Aaron was murdered by. Lysa, uh, formerly Lysa Tully, now Lysa Aaron, Catlin's sister, on the orders or influence of Littlefinger. So, right, right. This is Littlefinger moving pieces in the game uh, this early on. I mean, episode one, um, season one. So, it's it's interesting to watch now knowing uh, Littlefinger's plans, watching his plans unfold. So, it is that that's what makes it fun to come back to this thing is these they, they, there is so much
2: detail that you wouldn't understand until you've got the perspective of 50 episodes or 60 episodes under your belt, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of crazy. And if I can I I remember watching this thing and I was fascinated by it the first time I watched it, but I could not figure out what the hell was going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. How did you deal with like all the different characters in the different houses? Were you like, "Who the fuck are these people? What's what's happening here?"
2: I would go read the Wikipedia summary of it and then immediately forget everything and have to read it before the next episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. Like uh, obviously I was uh I wasn't unsullied watching the show, so I knew everybody was, but I can't imagine like trying to keep up with all these crazy characters. I like, I wonder if I would have been able to stomach it or power through it if I didn't if I hadn't read the books before. I don't know. It's like a lot of fucking people. Well, anyway, we go back up north to Winterfeld, and a letter arrives uh, talking, telling uh, the Starks about John Arryn's death, and now the king is coming to visit, more likely to ask uh, Ned to be the new replacement hand. Uh, preparations are uh, made, and the king's party arrives, and they actually do a good job of showing the passage of time. Um, you know, travel time, even though travel time only took a, a second on the show, they showed the dire wolf getting incrementally or significantly larger. Yes. So uh they like accounted for <laughs> traveling instead of like varies right. going from marine to doran to marine again, um, you know, they, one they even
1: say more than once we've been riding for a month. Yeah, Cersei so, definitely I mean,
0: comments I... how long it takes to get there. Yeah. So they kind Which of
2: understanding that cart it probably takes a lot longer than Normal, you know, just people on horses, but also if it took them thirty days to go from King's Landing to Winterfell, some of these other timelines are so fucked,
0: (laughs) right? And that's and once again, I've said goodbye to all that logic, just yeah, uh, in uh, because I just want the plot to move along. I mean, I don't. uh, Let's just rest it here. I don't care about like, well, it took 39 days to get to Winterfell last time. And this time I don't need to know the time exactly. I just need to know that there is a price to pay for traveling via horse or buggy or, uh, you know, legs like travel time is a consideration when people make plans, that would have been nice, but they kind of threw that out the window and I'm fine with it. Uh, but we're introduced to the entire King's party, uh, and his Royal family and the Lannisters. Uh, so we see, you know, that's Jamie Lannister, and this is all like all. Actually, I'm
2: sorry to interrupt, but that not before we meet Bran and have the scene between, uh, oh, yeah, Catelyn and Bran. Bran likes telling to climb. to climb. Yeah, yeah it, you know, there's a lot of inflection points in this show where everything could have been different if this one thing didn't happen. But this one in particular, this little shit would have just listened to his mother. We would have never had the War of the Seven Kingdoms.
0: But his mother's like cool with him lying to her. He, she's just like promise me you won't climb again. And then he's yeah. like, I promise. And she's like, you know, you fucking lie. And then yeah. they smile about it.
2: No, you said, you said, you said you're fucking to lying spanky.
0: to me, you piece of shit. Taste the back of my hand. <laughs> yeah. And like, if you, I don't know, if you're going to climb walls, you're going to climb them in a cast and then just break his fucking leg. Yeah. yeah what a, what a him. I don't know, Yeah. Something. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we get that introduction of Jamie, but like, or, um, of Bran but we we get a lot of like an info dump and there's so much ADR in the scene like after after the production recording things like i saying that's Jamie Lannister the kid yeah. the, the <laughs> queen's brother and then like where's the imp and um there's all sorts of things like uh kind of like there's just like an info dump for who all these crazy people are uh but yeah <laughs> uh Rob King Robert embraces Ned um after some joking about wait um and King Robert touches everybody. <laughs> and there's this uh new theory on the internet that uh the the people that King Robert touches in this an opening scene are the people that die, at least the Starks. So he hugs Ned, dead, hugs Catelyn, dead, ruffles uh Rickon's hair, dead, and then um is that it? No, Rob, he, he shakes Rob's, Rob's deal, hands. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I like this theory because it's probably just bullshit. I mean, I, I really think that Arya is gonna die before the end of the books so or the end of the series. I don't see how she doesn't. And I mean there's a good there's a good chance that John might die or um maybe not, or at least Bran, who knows. But it's a fun theory, right?
2: Sure it is. And you know, one other thing I thought in this scene was cool was the hound had a really cool looking helmet. I don't ever remember him wearing that helmet. Nobody
0: wears uh, helmets on the show after a while. Yeah. Helmets are just thrown away. Yeah.
2: He actually had a hound shaped helmet that looked kinda of badass. And you know, normally I'm not I don't look at people's outfits, but that one looked pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Did you think it made him look fat? Or uh no, not really. I just thought it was a little impractical. I thought it was cool looking, but I'm like, there's no way you can fight in something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. It could be like a decorative thing, but yeah. I I like how it... You open the jaws, and then your his right. face. Is it was like, very well done.
0: It's it was, it was a cool thing.
2: So, and one of the things that when I've read the book and then watched the show again, it was kind of funny how um, the book made Robert Baratheon seem like he was a lot more physically imposing, and in the show, he doesn't even to me he doesn't even look like a guy who was physically imposing, some kind of badass prior. He just kind of looked like a fat slob in the show. I thought.
0: Well, I thought in the show he's definitely more self-aware than he is in the books. Like, I feel yeah. like in the book he doesn't realize he's gone to shit, and uh, you know, but it seems very self-aware of uh, you know what's happening to him. Like, he makes a joke about uh, Ned being fat, clearly to take the edge off of his condition. And then yes. later on in the uh, when they're in the crypts, he says something that's very. Uh, he's like, "Yes, I want you to be the king, uh, the king's hand." So I can whore and hunt my way to an early death. Um so he knows that like, you know, he's incompetent as a ruler, but uh, you know, he's aware of it. Like he doesn't necessarily take doesn't want to change, but I thought that was an interesting choice. But yeah, he doesn't uh he didn't seem physically imposing or that he resembled uh what's a the bastard? Warrior. What's the bastard that survives? Gendry? Yes, yes. 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 Yeah, he doesn't. You're right. I think maybe if they would have made him a little bit taller, I don't know, but uh, it didn't bother me too much.
1: It's sort of an interesting. This is off topic slightly, but it's an interesting question to me about because he's. I mean, it's whatever. You know, the deal is he's like not a good king. But like, I I mean, do you think before all the stuff went down with Rhaegar and Lyanna that like he even would have like wanted to be king, or do you think that he, you know, that just incensed him so much that he? Like he had to fight them, and then like because he's the leader of it, they're like, well, I, g- I guess then also you should be king. That's I mean, what I took wanna, it. That's
0: what I took he it. Doesn't,
1: to he doesn't. He doesn't want to do any of the king stuff. So, <laughs> like, I don't know why you want the job. You just didn't want this guy to, to take your 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 crush away.
0: I just figured. I, I feel like it was a lot of people were getting fed up with uh, the Mad King, and Robert was the first one to take up arms. And because he was the warrior, you know, he was good at fighting. And he was the one right. that killed um uh, Rhaegar, the heir to the throne. I feel like he was the natural political choice to be the ruler. But yeah, I don't think he wanted to be a ruler at all. And I mean, he wouldn't have been such a terrible king if he would have surrounded himself with competent people, but he's got Littlefinger, who you know, orchestrated the downfall here, and that's the that's the reason why the realm was in debt. People were like, oh, King Robert fucked it up. He fucked it up by other people fucking it up and him not noticing or doing anything about it. I I really I, there's a lot of like King Robert hate, and I mean there was plenty of peace while he was uh the whatever the 17 18 years he was in power. So I don't see it.
1: Right. I wonder if I mean John Aaron probably ran everything. He probably was a pretty competent guy. Um,
0: right, but he had a blind so... eye when it came to uh fucking Littlefinger, his um his wife's fucking boy toy. Uh, yeah. Or whatever. Was he was
1: little, or no, Littlefinger was not his ward. Littlefinger was the ward at Riverrun, right?
0: Yeah, but, uh, when because, because he was little. Yeah, but because he was ward at, uh, Riverrun, he got in good with Liza Tully and to a lesser extent, Catelyn.
1: Yeah. How yeah. did, or no, how, well, whatever, we don't have to get into the whole history of well, it. Well, no, no, let's
0: but, talk about it because, uh, basically so, so, John Aaron gives Littlefinger his first, like government job on Lysatulli's prodding,
1: so oh, is it? That's how he gets started. Okay, yeah. Was, in the Vale, he becomes some
0: kind of some kind of I don't know. He's in charge of some kind of trading for the Vale. He works for the Arryn family there, and that's how he like slowly works up. And he got comes to King's Landing, and that was the beginning of his uh, whatever uh, rise to power.
1: And but- just going back to like old connections, right? So like Robert and Ned like grew up at least part of the time in the Vale, like under the protection of John Aaron, right? Right.
0: He was their ward. And that that's another reason why people think there was a uh conspiracy to uh overthrow the Targaryens as well, is because normally like all these uh lords would just marry their children off to like a vassal house. So like the Starks would marry, you know uh, Sansa to one of the Umbers or a Bolton or something, just to reinforce that the the oh just
1: north to north kind of stuff.
0: Right, and it was part of like uh, John Aaron and Tywin's plan to like have this intermingling of marriages to kind of form like a I guess uh, if not democracy, at least a more kind of a a way to depose the the ruling party by having these strong bi- uh, strong ties between uh, different kingdoms so they were more powerful than just being separate separate uh seven separate entities so people point to that in uh for evidence that the the rest of the seven kingdoms had eyes on throwing the targaryens off the crown off the uh throne for years that mm. makes sense
1: mm. it's interesting too to think about because i feel like so i mean you think of you know what was it like sort of before we watched the show or read the story it's in my mind, it's probably kind of Jon Arryn and uh, Tywin that are kind of running things, right? Like, the Vale is, like, this really big, kind of powerful, influential region, and he's, like, the head of it. And then you have Tywin, sort of the same thing over on the West Coast.
0: Yeah, and they were both but hands of the king at one point.
1: Right. But I guess the weakness for Jon Aaron is he doesn't have, you know, heirs in a family, right? He's, he's kind of Liza. He's got this kind of misfit kid, and, like, that's it. Right. Um. I don't know why he. I don't know because he's also old, like to start with. I don't know if. Uh,
0: I don't know he had I,
1: a, if he had a, like another wife before or what, but
0: I think he did, uh, and never, never, he never came to pass that he had children. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know that for a fact. That's just the feeling I get.
1: Okay. Anyway, this is also this is jumping back a little bit. I just as far as the show goes, I feel like I could do without that scene in King's Landing where they're at his funeral. Yeah. Um, because it's not in the book. I almost think it would be more interesting to just introduce us to all those people when they show up at Winterfell.
0: Right. Like Catelyn just gets the letter. Catelyn just gets the letter. Rob, John Aaron has died.
1: Right. And, you and like know. you could still have Cersei and Jamie kind of put their heads together and be like, hey, we got to like watch out for each other. Cause like this dude was like onto something. And, but you could have them just do that up there like at some point yeah um, it' doesn't have to be down there and uh I feel
0: we'll just... like they had a lot uh to set the table with a lot of their characters to introduce and that's that's a choice they made but you're right i looking back it doesn't seem like a great it was so inconsequential and it was a very quick scene but anyway yeah. let's uh let's move on with the episode so uh R- King Robert insists immediately on visiting the crypts to see his old dead girlfriend liana um gives her a feather I don't know what this the uh <laughs> The meaning of the feather is, but it comes back later, I think, when uh, Sansa and Littlefinger visit the crypts, but um, they talk about good times, and Robert proposes a marriage between their kids, so Sansa will marry uh, Joffrey. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to a whorehouse, and we have some gross sucking noises. Also, as- down
2: there, uh, Robert asks uh, Eddard Stark to be the head of the king. Oh, yeah, so he officially
0: yeah, right, does right, it, officially. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Going back to the gross sucking noises. So there's a we're introduced to a blonde dwarf named Tyrion who's the queen's brother, one of them. It's
2: funny he I, he almost looks like he's in a boy band in that that scene.
0: Yeah, his hair is really blonde. He's yeah. like fresh-faced. Uh he's so different from the way he is in the uh, show now. It's crazy.
2: Mhm. It was funny to see uh that same the prostitute that Raz ends up being in a lot of other Scenes during the, the course of the show
0: yeah I wrote I hope we never see this annoying girl again <laughs> <laughs> but this is a, a classic case of sex position this is the first yes. time we're given sex position uh, where you get to see boobies while they dump a lot of history and uh, set up the story for you um, what, one thing I did remark is so Jamie comes in and like says you gotta meet, meet us for dinner um, he's like I'm not going anywhere and Jamie's like, I thought you say that. So he, you know, he bought her, bought um, Tyrion like three more whores so he could have a big orgy and get it out of his system, I guess. But on the way out, Tyrion shouts, close the door, which is obviously <laughs> foreshadowing Clodor, <laughs> the the invalid uh, that the Lannisters have. So, yeah, yeah. Tyrion um, wargs trees and is a three eyed crow as well. Clodor. Clodor.
2: So then we're uh, introduced to the uh, – anybody have any other input on that scene? I mean, well, it was – I mean that was the first – they really have gone away from the sex position.
0: Yeah, um, thank God. I mean they don't yeah. – they really don't need it now, but I wonder if they ever needed it.
2: No, and some of it was really awful. Like I remember in particular – actually a scene involving Raz, I think, in uh, Littlefinger's, um One of his speeches in the, in the brothel where he was teaching two prostitutes or as the Australians say, prozzies. How to please each other and uh, had them do butt stuff to each other. I mean, some of it was just so like God. This is okay. So we just are so worried about the lowest common denominator not being able to keep, keep pay attention for two minutes yeah. of an episode. I mean, it was I. I never got on board with the sex position. I don't mind the sex within the context of the show, but it really. I mean, I think it's like a bad mark on the show. It makes it look kind of stupid when they do those sorts of things.
0: Right, and it's the same thing with the sexual violence. I feel like when Martin does it in the books, there's like a narrative purpose it serves, um, instead of just like something that happened in the background. Yeah, or... the
2: the purpose is so he can jack it that
0: night. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, we get this last little uh, bit of Robert talking to Ned in the um, the crypt, saying, "I kill the kill Rhaegar every night," and he's still pissed off about the Targaryens. It laments that there are still some Targaryens alive, and then we get. Yeah. Pentos.
2: When we get to meet uh, yeah. Danny and Viserys, this total badass Viserys. This guy, <laughs> not to be fucked with. Total badass. Uh,
1: and we're introduced... king material. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: We're introduced to their weird relationship, and apparently Wake the Dragon is his syn- synonym for uh, domestic abuse. Yep. Uh, we kind of learn that she's married to Going to be married to a horseman eventually, and we also there's some foreshadowing of her inability or ability to withstand fire uh, through her entering the the uh, bath that is entirely too hot
0: with the with the awesome line, "It's too hot, my lady." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah. We'll there's, s- there's really not much to this scene besides Danny is just over the top, like, uh like stares out into space. Is like, yeah, she looks like she's already. Uh, like yeah, beaten wife. Or yeah, what the victim. shit was that
2: supposed to accomplish? It was seems silly. I
0: I guess it was just his enforcing his power over her, and I believe he does yeah. that in the uh, the books as well. He like pinches her nipple, uh, but they don't like focus on it as much. Um, but yeah, it's just her being completely owned. I guess is what it's. You know that she's so weak and she's so um, victimized here. She just yeah. has a very blank stare and she just you know lets things happen to her, I guess.
2: And I remember as a non book reader, this was the first introduction of hey, you know what, these brother sister relationships are good, gonna get a little bit weird on this yeah. show. And I remember I going, do like, not want to watch, this,
0: watch this with my sister.
2: I remember watching this <laughs> going, what the fuck is this all about? That's her brother. Why why is he touching her nipples or whatever? Um so that was uh I guess maybe to soften us up for the uh, later. Uh, later introduction of uh, incest
0: perhaps but uh, uh, I don't know if anything happens in between here but then later on uh, the horsey king comes to town and inspects the goods, inspects the merchandise and he likes <laughs> what he sees uh, and Danny doesn't want to marry the the weird smelling horse lord I assume he smells uh, but the badass she just wants to you know, go home she Yeah, just, she just wants to go home And the badass informs her that he would let his entire khalasar, all 40,000 dudes and their horses, uh, fuck her if it uh, got him his army, which is what he's interested in. So he doesn't give a shit about his sister necessarily. She's just a pawn for him to get what he wants. So he's just like a terrible player at this Game of Thrones, essentially.
2: Maybe the worst.
0: Yep. And you know
2: what?
0: I went and
2: read after reading the books and then watching the show. Um, coming back to it, it's disappointing that the guy who they were staying with—I forget his name—but uh, he was described as this huge fat guy in the books. I thought it would have been more fun if he was this like obese beyond obese guy. Um, what I loved,
0: just- yeah, what I loved about Elyria in the books too is because he used to be—he um, has like a statue of this like very lean, very muscular, lithe um, water dancer, basically a, a serial Pharrell kind of like a, a swordsman. And mm-hmm. we find out that that used to be Illyrio. So Illyrio used to be a fucking badass. And now he's just, yes, a massively overweight uh, guy. There's a lot of like obese guys that are like secret good guys or badasses. And I don't know if that's uh, Martin doing wish fulfillment. <laughs> uh, but you get that with uh, Wyman Manderly as well. Like, you know, he's too fat to sit a horse and everybody uh, belittles him. But he's a fucking secret badass. So. I thought that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I have a, a question I guess and this is getting stuff. So that this Illyrio, right? Is this guy's name. Right. Um oh also brief aside, I don't I, he has very good like braids in his beard and also Yeah. Jumping back further, Roderick, right? Who is one of the main Stark guys has the most amazing sideburns ever yeah. that are wrapped around and tied in a bow under his chin. Um Yeah, I got to think
0: like, yeah, it's got to be hard for them to like eat I don't know chicken (laughs) (laughs) or other things that you have to put food like close to your face
1: I feel like they they had a guy who was in charge of making interesting facial hair decisions and he didn't last I guess after the very beginning (laughs) of the series because they don't they don't really keep that going very well unfortunately to our I wish that uh, I wish that that would come back
2: yeah because Dario was supposed to look bananas like yeah yeah all kinds of crazy shit going on um but he's—I uh, mean—in the beginning, he just had long hair, and then now he just—it looks like a dude.
1: Yep, straight dude. Um, oh, what was my real thing? Uh, so Illyrio, essentially, right? Later on, we figure it's like he and Baris that are are essentially trying to bring the Targaryens right. back to power.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: but we in the show, like, we almost never see Illyrio again. Like, I mean, I think we we see him. It's him and Varys, right? Walking through the catacombs in King's Landing when Arya is eavesdropping. Yeah, right? and it's, we'll see
0: that later this season.
1: Absolutely. Um, oh, is that who like,
2: the second person is? It was yeah. Lurio. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lirio I didn't know that. Varys. Yep.
1: But but like outside of that, I feel like we never ever see him again ever. Is is that like all the stuff from the books where he shows up again? Which is not a ton. But no, his but son, primarily he shows up again. Uh, race,
0: right? Yeah, he shows up. Uh, basically, they cut him out and they replace him with Varys. He's the guy that Tyrion meets once he escapes from the Purple Wedding, or uh, you know, not after 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 the consequences of the Purple Wedding, where he's framed for the murder of Joffrey. He escapes in the show with Varys, and Varys takes him to you know all across the land until he gets abducted by Jorah. In the book, it's uh, Illyrio's job. Uh, But yeah, you do find out that Illyrio and Varys are in cahoots to put the Targaryens in power, and in the book, they're trying to put a. Uh, imposter Targaryen, or possibly a Blackfyre, or a like bastard house of the Targaryen um, ruler on the throne. Uh, we don't really, we don't get any of that in the show. We just get basically Varys's team uh, Targaryen for some reason,
1: right? Which is an interesting choice to me because it's it's very obvious that Viserys would would be garbage as a king, right? I mean, right. It's it's interesting to me why you would choose to back him over Robert like it's the I kind of always thought that in book five in the books we're just everything is spoiled right we can just talk about everything oh
0: yeah by the way spoiler alert guys (laughs) if you haven't read the books or seen the TV show we possibly will spoil that for you Uh, this is your one and only spoiler warning
1: so it it always annoyed me in the books where that Targaryen shows up out of nowhere in book five it annoyed the the shit out of me too yes but the one thing about it that that makes me feel okay-ish about it is the idea that, like, well, okay, so maybe these guys are trying to secretly get rebellion going, and, like, Viserys, like, kind of thinks it's for him, but it's actually not for him, because he's garbage. Nobody necessarily thinks, I mean, at this point, like, Danny, you wouldn't think of Danny as a possible leader at all. Right. Um, so they've really got this other kid just hidden away, and it's actually going to be him they're going to try to bring on to the throne. I mean, Danny's is sort of a self-made, ruler like she kind of just makes herself out of nothing right um, nobody's f- really trying to put her in charge it, it just she just does it um which is cool but you know looking back in the show it's like oh like i mean do they really want viserys to be in charge and then they just send him off with the dothraki without any real protection or anything i mean he, he just gets killed by those dudes like if that was your right. plan was to have viserys be in power like you'd think Varys would be like, well, I guess that plan's over. <laughs> like we better think of something else.
0: Yeah, the theory in um, the the theory for a lot of uh book readers is that in the books it makes more sense because they're basically hedging their bets by having this fake Aegon that they're raising and they're going to put on the crown, but they also have the backup plan which is uh Viserys and Daenerys. And that makes a little bit more sense for me, but at the same time like uh, I- I don't know why they would back two different claimants to the throne. Like, why would they even entertain Viserys? Like, is that just like, they're just like, well, this is the best thing we got going for us. Um, right. Seems a lot to rest all your hopes on this piece of shit.
1: Right. And also the one thing in the show with, with Illyrio kind of disappearing, I, I mean, it makes, I mean, it's essentially just makes it like this one man show that varies is, is doing all this kind of on his own. It makes more sense if there's like, You know this—at least this one other kind of noble, like super wealthy guy who kind of also backs this cause to get this network going.
0: Yeah. Uh, So it's just so from our perspective on the show, or at least you know, we just don't know why Illyrio, and that's even brought up um, by Danny. You know, the the one thing she really contributes to the conversation is like, um, why is he doing this? Why is he? You know, we've stayed here for almost a year. He's giving us all this stuff. Why is he doing this? And uh, Viserys. you know, you know, pass it off by saying he's no fool. He knows that once I, you know, retake the crown, I'll reward him. Uh, but that's obviously not the case. We just don't know what his and Vari's intentions are. We really, we just have no idea. Right. All right. Yeah. So, um, where do we go next?
2: Uh, next, we go back to Winterfell and uh, Sansa. Uh, says that she wants to marry Joffrey. Uh, oh, Benjen. I'm,
0: I love the yes. eye roll. I have to say it.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you see a courtyard and Benjen returns to find Jon Snow beating up a, a practice dummy target, I think. Uh, he was not allowed to go to the dinner because I guess the bastard of Winterfell is too shameful to be at a dinner. I'm not sure what the where that came from. Uh, Benjen and Jon discuss John taking the black. John wants to go take the black, which is fucked up because nobody ever tells John just how bad taking the black is going to be. Even though Benjen should have known, Benjen should have not been able to tell him. You know what? It kind of sucks here for you and everything, but it's shit up there. You're yep. eating rotten food, and you know. Uh, but whatever. So uh, then uh, Benjen goes to join everyone at the dinner. Uh, Tyrion shows up, and they discuss uh, how they're both unique in that. Tyrion's a uh weird imp and John's a bastard. But I mean, based on what we know in the show, it's almost like they're treating John's situation as unique, but I think we know that there are probably hundreds of royal bastards out there, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah but maybe, I think I they, don't, they don't just just they don't bring them around. They don't bring them around. Like the, the bastards are off being raised by their mothers in whorehouses, uh, at least yeah. as far as Robert's concerned, and this is Shameful that Ned is treating one of his bastards as if he's a son or a family member.
2: Gotcha. That makes sense. So then it goes to Cersei and Catelyn sitting at the table in the dinner, which uh, that was the, uh, the the awkward small talk was really, really funny to me, yeah. now, especially now knowing that we know what we know. At the same time, you see Robert is uh, smacking women's butts in the uh, in the middle of the dinner. He's straight up mouth-fucking like
0: one yeah. second at a time.
2: Yeah, it's pretty it's – pretty cr- Cersei's face, uh, especially now that we, again, know more about Cersei and how much she h- hates him and like how much she's a crazy person. I just can't even imagine the schemes that were going through her head. And it's going on in front of these uh, Starks, which everybody knows that the Starks um, at least think themselves more honorable than everyone else. Uh, so like the contrast there was pretty interesting. And it, it ca- Seeing Catelyn trying to make small talk was really funny.
0: Yeah, I mean the Starks have a reason to think that they're more honorable than everybody else. Yeah, they're isolationists. Uh, you know, I think like they don't really have much dealings with any other nations or people. Um, you know, they're the fucking kings essentially of their realm, uh, and they don't really get out much. So, one thing I did want to point out is like we we see this, we're introduced to Benjen. Uh, we never find out why Benjen took the black, do we? You I don't recall. Yeah. I mean, it's there's interesting, interesting too, because
1: yeah. he's, he's so one of Ned's brothers yep. got burned by the king with his dad, and then his other brother is Benjamin, right? So, I mean, I, I don't right. know if there's like a, you know, it could be that, like, oh, he kind of got sent away, so there's not any kind of like squabbles over who's going to run things, but.
0: It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, the Blackfish was a, a brother, and he became a knight and was in. Uh, service to, like, the Arons. Um It's just, it's weird. Usually you take the Black to atone for some sin, and there's uh, the pop. I don't know how popular it is, but there's a theory that um, Benjen took the Black to atone for the sin of helping Lyanna escape with um, Rhaegar. We don't know that. We have very little evidence mm. that points to that, but that would make sense uh, because, you know, the the popular... Uh, theory is that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped Lyanna, um as opposed to um, you know probably a mutual absconding or uh, basically going away together. Um, right. So that's a that's a popular theory, and I kind of like that theory. But we, I, I wish we were just given some concrete, like this is why. Uh, you you took the black. We find out why Gior takes the black. It's because of his son. His son fucking sold people into slavery, which is outlawed. Jorah Mormont, Mormont. Yep, gonna say it that way. Uh, <laughs> so his dad atones for his son's sins, and that's why uh, Gior is uh, at the Night's Watch. But we never get that with Benjen. I thought that was strange. It
1: is odd. Yeah. It's
2: a
0: good question.
1: Benjen is also a. A totally forgotten character I'm super interested like what ends up happening to Benjamin in the books um, because it it would make sense for him to be cold hands but I feel like Martin has sort of yeah. said not in the books but has kind of said otherwise he's that he's not cold hands right um it would make more sense in my mind if he was cold hands because like who the heck is cold hands and what's happening there anyway right. um but again it's another case we're in the show this past season Benjamin comes back and he's cold hands and all he does is just, I mean, he gets him out of a jam and then just drops him off and leaves and just says, yeah, I'm going to go fight. I'm going to do what I can until
0: you know, for as long as I can. The most vague fucking thing you can say, you might as well say it is what it is. I'm going to be taking care of business. Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Every day. So then uh, in the middle of the scene uh, of this fest, the feast, we see Ned and Jamie meet each other again, which I think presumably is the first time that they've seen each other since um since Ned caught Jamie on the Iron Throne after killing the king i mean there, i'm sure there was some you know interaction after that but i doubt they've seen each other since then probably not so i thought that was interesting uh so then we cut to Ned and uh Kat in bed and uh the oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah you know what just happened <laughs> wedding night oh yeah um so uh, the Kat receives a letter from uh, her sister um, who has fled to the Vale. Uh, the uh, What's her name again? I'm, I'm sorry. Lisa the- Lisa, yes. Yes. I kept wanting to say Lyanna, but I knew that was right. So Lysa was John Arryn's uh, wife, and she fled from King's Landing to the Vale and has accused the, um, the Lannisters of killing John Arryn, which, of course, as we discussed briefly a little bit earlier – We know that actually Littlefinger was responsible for the death, and Lysa had a hand in it. uh, Which do do we know? Did the um, did the Lannisters have any part in the
0: murder? Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, no. So like they just uh, it sounded like, and this seems to be the same uh, plan that uh, Varys and Illyrio have when they talk in the the underneath the Red Keep later in the show. You know, they want the lion and the. Wolf to go to war, and essentially, this is the same plan that Littlefinger had. These people just didn't like each other, and I think it was a tinderbox situation. And then Littlefinger found a way to spark that flame. He yes. basically just gave it a little push, and uh, everything ignited what a little push. He just murdered the hand of the king, <laughs> right? That, that's all he needed to do,
2: yeah. Well, actually, is uh, the, the Lysa murdered the hand of the king, I think. Well, yeah, we because
0: murdered. I'm sure that. Be- well, Littlefinger basically did. It's like saying, you know, you know, if a general orders you to shoot somebody and you shoot somebody, did you kill him or did? I mean, we can't. We can go backwards as far as blame all we want, but basically, Littlefinger had Jon Arryn killed. Yes. Mm-hmm. To incite this this conflict between the Starks and the Lannisters, who already already didn't like each other to begin with, but they they weren't all out enemies until uh, till now, essentially. So after so after that we're, what happens? Uh, we head to the
2: uh, the dothraki wedding uh, between Danny and Kyle Drogo. Uh, of course, it's a giant fuck fest there. Everybody's killing each other, murdering each other. Uh, Danny gets a bunch of gifts, a bunch of weird stuff like people were just handing her baskets of snakes. I don't know what she's supposed to do with those. <laughs> um, but the people are all savages. That's where we first meet Jorah. Um and then Danny's given the dragon eggs. And uh of course Viserys just wants to get his army that he he's he's given in exchange. Uh well he's supposed to receive in exchange for giving his sister to Cal Drogo. Did, which did they ever really go into why Cal Drogo wanted Danny specifically, he was willing to to I guess offer his entire army services?
0: They don't. Uh in the books they do talk that uh I think it was part of the stallion that mounts the war world uh, prophecy that he needed mm. to find uh, somebody who would fulfill that prophecy. And she was it. And somehow Lirio knew that, uh, but it's really not talked about mm. in the show at all. So we just have no idea why, I guess we're supposed to think that Danny's just exceptionally pretty to this horsey guy. Sure. That's, that's all I guess. So, I, I mean, I, I guess if
2: he's thinking he's trying to fulfill this prophecy, it would make sense that if he's going to find some outsider bride, it was the person who was a descendant of those who ruled Westeros. Right, she sense, she is royalty, so that yeah. You know. They don't they don't give any explanation of that it seems like in the in the show that at all, and I did, never really understood that that aspect of it. And the other thing is these dragon eggs. Yeah, even though it is the cow getting married. Fuck it, the dragon eggs are like the most valuable things in the entire goddamn planet.
0: Yeah, but they that didn't means, know that at the time. I think, like, let's talk about that because that's something I wanted to bring up. Well, the, there, no,
2: they do that; if they're very valuable because later, Viserys wants to steal a couple of or steal one of them, right. and He thinks that's enough to buy him an army. Just those,
0: yeah. Illyrio even says, you know, time has turned them into stone, but um, they're still worth a fortune. They're still very pretty, or whatever. So they're valuable tokens. But do you think Illyrio gave her? Those things just to be used as tokens, or do you think, um, you know, he was hoping she could hatch them, uh, or yeah, why is there there more
2: there? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think we'd be reading probably be reading too much into the subtext because they didn't, uh, I don't think they gave us any overt clues that that was the case. It just doesn't make. It's one of these things where like if you spend too much time thinking into it,
1: it might not make a lot of sense. Right,
0: but that's what we're doing here. Yeah. In general.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody expected them to actually hatch and become dragons at all. Yeah. I, I think it just is one of those things. I mean again, that kind of goes along with what we were saying earlier about like nobody's betting on Danny to actually take over things. So why so give, give so, her such an, an extravagant
0: her- why give her such an extravagant gift?
1: Uh, well, from I'll Illyrio's just,
0: perspective, like Illyrio should be trying to, uh, you know, I guess maybe Illyrio sees her as a better Targaryen option here, but I don't see how. Maybe just because of her new position as being bride to the Cal who's going to be in charge of the army as opposed to Viserys who's just king, you know, without a kingdom. King badass. Yeah, I just, I just, it's it's a little odd, but whatever. It, It ends up, in dragon so i guess we'll we'll allow it i mean obviously
2: it, it had to happen in order for the show to move forward to where it is but right uh, yeah seems seems odd so then we go to the uh fun scene where cal drogo uh banks his child bride uh seemingly against her will
0: yeah this is really uh, disturbing in the off-putting yeah, yeah in the books am i wrong in thinking that she was afraid of uh being raped so she talked to like some of her handmaidens and they showed her how to take control and she like am I just making that up uh I also no, wanted to I read think, the chapter again but I didn't have
1: I time think, I think that kind of stuff happens a little bit later but in the books like Drogo kind of seduces her right um and like says something about like he won't take her until she says okay and eventually he kind of puts enough moves on her that she says okay um I, you know it's obviously not a wonderful setup at all but i mean that way that it plays especially if like man in not a super long time you're going to have Danny fall in love with this guy
0: right so like their you first encounter is...
1: right having it be a seduction instead of just a you know a full on Rape essentially is is not good.
0: Yeah, why couldn't it, they? Why couldn't they play it out like it's in the books? Like there is like he seduces her, and basically Martin goes out of his way to make sure that there is consent. You're right that there is some backsliding later on in the books where Khal Drogo just comes to bed at the end of a long day of riding and just takes her immediately without you know putting on the moves essentially. But right. uh, but initially, yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember it now he does seduce her. So I don't know why it, it was.
2: It was. I, I mean, I thought it was. In the books, it was probably 99% consensual. And this, it, it, clearly, it wasn't. And, you know, I avoided watching the show until it was a couple seasons in, and it really picked up hype because I heard about this. I just, I remember hearing uh, references to a young um, girl or, uh, I guess, teenager being raped during the show. And I, I remember making fun of a co worker who, who liked the show. Say, oh, is that that show where they raped the kids? And I had no clue what the thing was. I just do that part. And it, I just don't. And this is the beginning of. But it the, was a choice, right? Like, why did they even need that? Why couldn't they just fade exactly to black? What's going? Uh, that's what was going is why this is yeah. the beginning of these showrunners making the worst possible decisions that they could when it comes to sexual violence. And it wasn't necessary. There's no In reason. No for
0: way it. was this necessary. No. So Yeah, they're I, just
1: pranking up her being. Uh, you know sort of a victim and just you know being all the stuff about her right having that thousand yard stare earlier right she's just super unsure of herself and all this stuff which is interesting compared to how she ends up you know in a few seasons when she's just drastically different right but
0: just a terrible decision and that's the thing that's the thing is this was it doesn't have to be this way this was a decision made Uh, And this is why we're ashamed of thrones. I mean, this is a perfect example.
2: Hey, can we just take this and make it a little less consensual?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like the Cersei scene, uh, the Cersei and Jaime scene later on when they fuck on top of Joffrey's body. This happens in the book, too. But in the book, she says, yes, yes, do it now, do it now. You know, she's a little bit uh, hesitant at first, but she gives consent verbally (laughs) and george does this in the fucking books like uh, you you have to make a decision to go against it which is just crazy because you think you know better or you want this in because you think it needs to be in there because you're a fucking sick person george we like what you did but i need to get some more rain but
2: i don't even it says it does i mean And I I mean, I know I'm kind of repeating or hitting the same beats, but it's just it's baffling that they would when it adds nothing. And if anything, as people understand television, as they probably should, and that they're producing this thing for HBO, they should understand that most people don't like sexual violence. Weird. Really? Yeah. I I, I mean,
0: I don't know. I mean, people love The Cosby Show. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Too soon? I not uh, respond to that. <laughs> not soon enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, so anything else to say before we push uh, past it? I don't have anything else.
1: I've said my piece. I okay. So.
2: All right. Let's so go. we go back to Winterfell, and the uh, royal party is about to, or at least the men are about to go out on a, on a hunt. Uh, we see a little bit of the hound. Actually, we saw the hound. I think that's the most that we see his bald spot during the entire series. When he's speaking to Tyrion,
0: yeah, you could tell that that was like uh, the you know the draft one of his makeup.
2: Yeah, yeah, they yeah. scaled it back after that. So then uh, we they take off. There's not a whole lot there, but we go to uh, see the dumb shit Bran climbing around. Hear some noises coming from what appears to be an abandoned tower. See Cersei and Jamie. He hangs around inexplicably for a long time. I guess he's shocked by what he sees, but. I think like, back in, or at least theoretically in this time, I think that uh, sex in front of children was probably more common than they're leading on to in the show. But um, he makes... I mean, they eye weren't contact-
0: cavemen, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so
2: uh, Bran makes eye contact
0: with Cersei, and instead of Cersei
2: just, you know, powering through it, uh, she gets upset, and Jamie runs over. Yeah, to- I
0: expect the Cersei to go... Just get really into it and just maintain eye contact with Bran.
2: (laughs) And that's exactly why I said that. So so then uh, Jamie walks over, grabs him, uh, some back and forth, says, The things I do for love uh, throws that idiot out the window. And this sets up uh, Jamie, of course, being a complete piece of garbage.
0: Yeah, and this is... And here we go, the initial Doug rant. The fact (laughs) that in the books... They can turn Jamie into somebody you instantly hate right away for this despicable act, into somebody who's actually has honor and you root for. It's, it's just so well done and it's such a, a great piece of uh, storytelling. Uh, and it just doesn't come to pass in the show, and I'm really upset by that.
1: Yeah, it's weird. And you guys will obviously talk about this when you get to those episodes later on. Um, but like you can see them starting to do that like all through season mostly season three because mostly in season two he's locked up but like they're doing all that right they're doing all that stuff and then at the very end of that season or somewhere in there they seem to just make a really hard turn to just be like actually no like i know we we're gonna do this but let's just have him go back to being sort of paired with cersei
0: right they don't even send a put they don't even put his arc on pause they seem to like have him go backwards in his arc which
1: yeah and they do you'll have to remember because I rewatched some of this stuff um, because my girlfriend hadn't seen it so we've been rewatching it and there's a a scene later on where he's like looking at the book of all of the um, knights that protect the king right because now he's the head of them and in in the books right he's like okay now I'm going to fill up these pages with the things he's going to take responsibility and in the show, he's, like, about to do that. And Cersei comes in and essentially he says, oh, okay, like, now he literally pushes the book aside. And, they and then fucks her, right? Sex on a table, yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, this very, very distinct, in my mind, choice to, like, not yeah, follow and- that story for him, which is confusing. I don't know why you would lay all that groundwork and then just be like, well, actually, no.
0: But do you think there's, like, because we talked about when the showrunners do this meta-textual shit where they're, like, winking at the audience and, like, where the hound pisses in the river to signify pissing on the, uh, lady Stoneheart theory. Do you think it's like, they're like saying like, not only are we not going to do this, but fuck you, we're going to fuck on a pile of cash or, uh, you know what I mean? Like we can do whatever we want. We are gods. Um, or do you think it, uh, that was just like a one-off because, uh, I, I definitely think they are doing some winking at the camera stuff and some of the writing and some of their, the actions that they take. But, uh, why, like, like it's it's one of the best parts of the books, and it's one of the best parts that makes like uh, Feast with Crows such an enjoyable read. I mean, Feast of Crows and A Dance with Dragons. Let's face it; I mean, coming off of A Storm of Swords, which is essentially season three and four in the on the uh, TV show, there's just so many awesome climaxes, and then you just slow way down with Brienne just wandering around, and you follow Jamie and nothing much happens, but seeing Jamie's redemptive arc uh makes that book uh awesome and i just don't i don't see why you piss all over that i think they're going to return to it uh brian said that too brian um uh, you think they're going to go forward with it now that cersei's king uh, or queen of uh king's landing i think they are going to show the schism between the two but just right. because there's a schism between them doesn't mean that Jamie's necessarily a better person it just means he disagrees with his sister
2: with his sister killing their kid and then taking the, the throne, right. right? Yeah.
1: Right. When his sister eventually exploded a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> then like, then he was like, well, this I'm not as into.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make him a great person. That's more of like a, I don't know. Right. More if he's not the worst person. Yeah, exactly. Instead of right. he's doing honorable things and trying to fulfill oaths. So uh, Doug rant over.
2: Uh, so, that's, so is yeah. that even though that is that the, the, is that the in, inaugural Doug rant? Even though uh, you've done other Doug rants, yeah. Been, yeah later is, episodes.
0: This is where the Doug ranting that will later come back. I mean, I guess, but but this is how it is in the the book. So that's a Doug rant that uh, if we were looking at it from a linear fashion, I have yes. no problem with the way Jamie behaved in this episode because it is in line with what happens in the books. I'm just yeah. I get I get angry with what happens later, what follows like Jamie kills uh, a cousin in the next season he's a kin- he's a kinslayer like he was yeah, a, a kinslayer he kills in
2: the- a cousin just to get out of out of jail or he doesn't do
0: that shit in the books it's like one of the like it's yeah. a weird character choice like he's even more of a piece of shit like uh, I don't yeah. know All right. he doesn't Oops.
1: kill his cousin in the books I thought he I thought he killed somebody to try to make an escape
0: uh, I, I don't remember I'll, I'll try to reread the books maybe when wins is announced but, um, mm. but I, I, I don't think he killed his cousin just to get away because mm. they had, no, they had like Cleo's Frey. I think that was the guy that <laughs> it was his cousin through marriage that he, he, uh, he uh, leaves with Brienne and Cleo's to go to King's Landing. I think that's maybe who you're thinking of. I don't know. I don't know. Moving on.
1: Uh, yeah. I remember. Well one of.
0: All right. So that's, that's episode one. Uh, what'd you guys think? But that was a good
2: introduction. I, I, again, I was uh, watching it the first time; it was baffling. But now watching it in retrospect, I mean, I think it's really interesting. Sets up a lot of things, and I don't know that I could offer any input as to how they could have done any better. To set it up.
0: Yeah, I thought it was done very well. I mean, it was very exciting to see this happen the first time, and looking back now, I think it holds up.
1: Jim. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I thought it was really well done, especially for as many people that they have that they're introducing, they they do it pretty economically, right? They get across a lot of, like, character stuff, like, in a pretty short span. And they don't, you know, they do some stuff where, like, oh, that's Jamie Lannister. He's the brother of the Queen. (laughs) Like, they do some of that, but they don't do a lot, right? No, you're right. Like, Theon's there, but they don't say who Theon is, right? Like, you know, Roderick and, like, all these dudes. Like, there's plenty of people around they don't really talk about, right? Jorah just shows up for two minutes. Right. um, and and so they're not going out of their way. You know, they're not putting up little or pausing and putting up names of characters and who they are and like family tree stuff. Um, they kind of just let you figure it out. And I think that's the thing. It's just so many people, but like as it goes, you just kind of figure it out. I mean, that's kind of what it's like reading any of those giant fantasy books. Right. You kind of just have to dig in and then you, you end up going back to the glossary like over and over again until you kind of figure it out. Um, but I think that's fine. Like, I mean, it would be really distracting if, if they didn't do that.
0: No, I think that's a great point. And you're right. I don't, I don't see how they could have done that better. They, you know, they introduced these people, but they didn't call attention to it. Like you said, like Jorah is just there, you know, the next episode when he gets more backstory or two episodes later, you can go, Oh, that was the guy that gave her the books.
1: Right. And I think the thing too, is like all their characters are in place. Like there isn't anybody that feels off. Like everybody, like right from the get go feels very much like themselves. Yeah. Um, like the actors are all doing really good work. Um, and yeah, I was, I remember watching it and being really excited. Um, and it does some of the same stuff, right? It ends on this kind of crazy twist where, you know, you're not going to expect this. A, these brothers, no, that, that these, shocking. These family members to be, right, like having sex and then to push a kid out the window, just like bam, bam. Um, so you kind of get everything in there. It's interesting because it's an episode where there's not a lot of action or fighting really just kind of you know that attack at the beginning but that's it's more a horror scene than an action scene Um, absolutely yeah uh, and so it's interesting to to think of i wonder i'd be curious to know you know when it came on hbo like when was it that people really started picking up on it and watching it like I, i wonder how many people watched the first episode and were into it versus people that kind of picked it up later, you know, after they hear, like, oh my gosh, Like Ned Stark got killed, and people were like, who is that, like, what are you talking about? Um, And then they went back and watched it. I'd be curious. I'm sure
0: there are numbers out there, and I'm sure a better podcast would (laughs) would have those numbers available (laughs) to tell you, but I have no idea.
1: But although that, to me, brings up an interesting point, because I feel like a lot of people like the show and the books because of the like twist factor the like oh my gosh factor
0: the shamalang ding dong kind of and I, to to go back I'm to what different. your
2: question was the shock,
1: yeah
2: episode 1 season 1 2.22 million viewers I, th- I think they they do those uh day of or like you know the first week yeah. or whatever all right
0: well let's can you find uh, while you're uh i'm, I'm looking while you're at binging everyone. things on google can you uh <laughs> Can you look up the last episode, season 8. six? 8.89. 8.89. So that's, you know. It's quadrupled. That's Almost exactly. That's pretty good. But that's that's a lot of people for uh, season one, episode one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't. It's I don't not like it. Was whatever, Seinfeld that nobody watched it first. And no, but of-
0: like other HBO shows that premiered, like I didn't watch True Detective right out of the gate. I had like, you know, right. 10 people I trusted tell me, you got to watch this show. And I think I was like halfway through the season and I went back and watched them all and it was great. But like I can't think of like, I mean, unless I haven't I haven't seen a show right from the beginning on HBO unless it was Vinyl. I mean, because that <laughs> that show looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't watch a lot of uh, season series premieres. Obviously, I watched this one because I read the books and I was excited about the adaptation. But just as a regular dude, I don't think I would have watched this from the beginning.
2: You know, it's pretty yeah. great too. Looking at if you just look at the numbers, the rating numbers how it took this huge nosedive in season five after the unbroken, unbent episode.
0: <laughs> so people quit hmm. the show after Dorn?
2: Yeah, episode one of season five was 8 million viewers on the dot, and then it dropped down to 6.8,
0: 6.5, 6.2. God, no then, wonder they just like neutered Dorn. And then it went down in no, episode
2: seven, it dropped to 5.4, which was the lowest number since uh, the season three episode 10 number.
1: Wow. I think. I think that was the episode... When Ramsey rapes Sansa, isn't it? Oh, okay. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
2: I think it's the. Is it the? Uh, it's the the episode after.
1: Was the one where it dropped?
2: Yes, where it just took a nosedive.
1: Yep. So that could be people. Cause I remember right. When so That, that could happened, be the fallout from people the being like. Because it's another. I mean, getting ahead of myself, but another. You know, change that the.
0: A, a choice to insert. Are,
1: are choosing? And, yes, and changing. Um. To do this so, instead of yeah, what's in the story in the book,
2: they lost a million or, or actually from the season five, episode one, of eight million to season five, episode seven, to 5.4 million. They a drop off of two points in the, the episode before had 6.24, so 800,000 people didn't watch the next episode. And usually they kind of fluctuate or go up, but man. That's what they get for doing that bullshit.
0: Yeah, that I mean, yeah, this just, it's an example of why this show is, as much as we like it, I mean, obviously I'm a book reader, and that's where my perspective comes from, but I do enjoy the show. It's just hard to justify some of these decisions because they are decisions made by uh, people that are not George R.R. Martin. So you can definitely blame them. Am I wrong in any in any way?
2: No, you're not. George R. R. Martin used to have a bigger hand in I mean, he used to write an episode per season. I think he was in the writer's room some of the time. But um, now he's so far behind on the books relative to the show. I don't know that he still does those sorts Yeah, of what things.
0: do you think the relationships are like? Uh, Jim asked that in the beginning of the show, and I really don't know whether he's keeping them abreast of what's happening in Wins or, uh, or even A Dream of Spring, which is the presumed title of the last book. Uh, I don't know what the relationship is, or if he's still sharing info, or what. I think he has to be
2: giving them bullet points, but I don't think that he's uh, that they're tied into it. I mean, I think they're free to do whatever they want to.
0: I know they. I mean, I assume they are, but uh, yeah. I wonder if he just gave them the info dump, and then, that's all I have. And then, like years later, he's still writing, and then like, hey, can we get some of that? And he's like, no. Well, gosh, I hope if he's writing the,
2: and I think he does have the, you know, what, what he, where he thinks the thing ends up. I mean, the, the, you know, is John dead or not at the end of the books? I mean, I would assume that he would know that.
0: Um, he said he has it in mind, but you know, he could, yeah. change, he could easily change his mind. Who knows? Just like the guys who wrote Lost knew what
2: they were doing the whole time. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that shows. <laughs> but, We've
0: but got- no, George has actually, speaking of Lost, George has mentioned in interviews How like he didn't like how Lost ended. He didn't like how uh, Battlestar ended. Uh, He doesn't want that to happen to his this show or the book. So um, presumably he has it all worked out, or at least he's just conning us all. You know, there's this very like very cynical like I'm pretty cynical, but there's very cynical articles on the internet how like George R. R. Martin just has made it, and he's like fuck this, fuck everybody. You know, (laughs) I. I'm a multi—I guess multimillionaire, oh, at the yeah. very least. Yeah, not billionaire, but I'm sure you know he's definitely fucking well off. So he's like gonna, he's got walking around money. So like I don't want to believe that he's just like fuck you. Um, I can just keep writing this. I'm not going to write anything. I'm just going to keep lying and then you know milk this cash cow for all it's worth. I don't—I don't, I don't want to believe that. I—I I don't believe that.
1: I think that's no, just that's, too cynical. I- yeah, I think it's the whole dynamic. I think is really interesting. I can't think of any other property where you've had this kind of thing happen where they well they they bring this they, up they caught up they caught up to an adaptation and then you know went past it while you know while the sort of true source material kind of gets lapped. It's such a weird thing. I, is there anything else where that's happened? No, but
0: uh, in it, an it, interview between that I watched between uh, George R. R. Martin and Steve Stephen King, Stephen King says, you know. He mentions uh, uh uh a nerdy event that I went to. There was this fundraiser uh at Radio City Music Hall in New York uh called uh A Night for Harry Carrie, and Garp and they had JK Rowling, uh Stephen King and for some reason John Irving. They threw him on the bill too. But uh but they all read like uh you know uh chapters from their books and this is in between uh right before the last book for Harry Potter came out and everybody was hoping she'd read a chapter from that and she didn't. She read a chapter from an earlier book. And it was still awesome getting to see her, but like he was Stephen King's like, "George, you know, you might feel the pressure, but this is nothing compared to what J.K. Rowling was feeling." And I'm thinking I don't know. I think the pressure is actually more uh higher because of the adaptation, right? Like Harry Potter is probably a bigger book than than hands down than Game of Thrones but I don't know if the amount of people it's touched, um, is lesser or greater because of the TV show.
1: I don't know. I I think it's, well, go ahead.
2: Numbers wise that Harry Potter's has to be, because I think every single, I think you're issued that once your child turns two. uh, plus there's these adults who believe that children's fiction is appropriate for them as well. Um, Uh. Game of Thrones I mean the number of people who read the books I think even though the despite the popularity of the show I mean I think it's pretty limited I I, I would I I don't think that even So you think, think Stephen question- King is
0: right by saying the the pressure that George Martin is feeling is nothing compared to JK Rowling because Harry Potter was fucking huge while she was finishing the series like but she kept on a pretty good pace like uh you know, there wasn't more than I don't know two, three, four years between the books um, when she finished them.
2: I mean, what's what's the scale? I, 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 you know, it's apples and oranges. I think and
0: you're right. It is. I mean, uh, the 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 books that George R. R. Martin writes are much more complex and sophisticated and longer, just page wise. But uh, but it's yeah. true. Like it's, it's got to be like George's got to realize that this has happened to other people. Like this is a you know phenomenon, and it's somewhat unique, but it's not completely unique.
2: No, I I've had to write like uh ac-, uh ac academic's probably not the right word. I've had to write like seventy five page, a hundred page papers that are re- where every single um, sentence has to have a verified source and it's fu- It's tough. That sounds know, awful. Yeah, it's, I mean, so much time. That's why I
0: majored in bowling.
2: <laughs> something that you just turn into somebody and they read it and I didn't even get a grade on it. It was just a fill requirement of a thing I was involved in. And it's awful, but all you do is just get up and write—you know—write two pages every single day. It's not—it's not that difficult, especially when you just get to make this shit up. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I understand the whole writer's block thing, but fucking just get on there and start typing.
0: I mean, I, I understand, and this is my feeling. I don't know. I'll ask Jim specifically this, but like the world's just kept expanding. Like in Book Five, you know, Feast for Crows expanded with all this travel time and all these small houses, but at least we were in Westeros book five expanded the world huge. And we found out about, you know, Marine old gifts, whatever the fuck that is. And we, we met all these people and it just seemed like all these plots were just expanding. And you got to think that, you know, the universe can't expand forever. Our universe or George's, it's got to start to condense, uh, and lead to a finite point. And he might've just, he might be trying to tie up all these loose ends and he just might not be able to, um, but I feel yeah. like he, he will do it somehow with a big explosion in a church or something.
2: <laughs> he, he started. He started too many threads to figure out how to tie them all back together. Even though he, were, he knows where he wants it to go eventually, is that what you're getting at?
0: Yes, that's that's yeah. my feeling. And I'm sure he will. He will finish it. Fingers crossed before he dies. But uh, you know, it's it's still frustrating as a fan. I mean, I I desperately I want the book mo- now more than ever. Just seeing what has come to pass and knowing there's no way we can get from where we left the books to where we are now a hundred percent. Like just so much is different. Um,
2: I hope he has like a contingency plan in case of my death, break this open and yeah. it's the bullet points for all the big plot stories because it will be shitty. If he dies and we have like half of a book or well, supposedly he book.
0: writes all his chapters on a <clears throat> computer that's not networked <laughs> that isn't plugged into the internet. Great. Yes. So it's protected. The Cylons come after him. Right. Just like Battlestar. Mm. Yeah. All right, so let's let's call it quits. Uh this was yeah. a good first episode. Uh we're gonna continue to do this until further notice. We might get bored and quit on you at any time, but uh we're gonna try to keep this going. Uh Jim, thanks for coming. Uh anything to plug?
1: Uh nope. Just uh I I will happily just plug what wonderful fellows you two guys are so okay, thank you very we'll much for having, having me on
0: yeah and, and speaking of that please uh, rate and review us on iTunes once again give us five stars and then call us dicks in the comments but um, don't just call us wankers call us wankers and something else if possible uh, anything else Brian? Uh, that's all alright guys thank you for joining us on Ashamed of Thrones and we will see you next Tuesday for season one episode two Good night, fuck fucktards